I'm really happy to be back. This is Eric Mann, the host of Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. I was away for almost all of December and the early January break, and I feel very revitalized. It's wonderful to go out into the world, and whether I'm leafleting at the Crenshaw Mall or at the Albertsons in South Central, where I do a lot of my organizing is in South Central Los Angeles, and... People say, that voice sounds, oh, wait a minute, I listen to your show all the time. Or every place I go, people say, voice, oh, I love voices. I love So we got a lot of listeners out there, and it's particularly a lot of black listeners. I mean, it really means a lot. How many black people have said to me, but people of all races, ages, I mean, it's just wonderful. You go to a peace meeting, especially people that are organizing, which is what our show is about, right? Your national movement building show. Uh, it's not a show about social criticism, although there'll be some. It's, it's always a show about organizing and hope. And that's one reason we love this show. Is it, it's, it's a very hopeful show because if you're an organizer, you have to have hope. And if you want to have hope, you have to be an organizer. It's just that simple. And you can't be an organizer unless you're in an organization. And I've always been in organizations my whole life. I'm presently the director of the Labor Community Strategy Center. I'm also in a very exciting coalition called Push LA with Community Coalition, Black Lives Matter, and the American Civil Liberties Union, and many others who are fighting radically trying to stop the police state in South LA and throughout Los Angeles and the U.S. I want to get more involved in the United Nations this year and Try to figure out, again, some kind of international climate work. But here's the thing. So I got a long agenda today. I did a lot of preparation for the show. Um, first is we're going to talk about the Voices from the Frontlines organizing community. And can we build a community of listeners? Uh, let's say there's several thousand of you out there listening. Let's say there's more. But I'm really focusing on any one of you who wants to do something. And I think you know there's a lot of you who want to do something. So the first thing we want to do is can we build up our own radio show, Voices from the Frontlines? I'm going to talk about that. I have a, an organizing plan and I need your help. 
and involvement. Okay, so that's agenda item one, as we say. I, I op- operate on agendas. Then two, I think I'm going to do consumer advice. Gwyneth Paltrow's luxury lifestyle brand Goop gives vacuous careerists a bad name. I just listened to a infomercial, except it was actually a, an, an interview with her. That was so pathetic, I had to talk to you about it. Then I'm going to do a, re- a review of a really important film called Just Mercy about the life of civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson, a wonderful film about courage, the racism of U.S. society, the cruel and unusual punishment of the death penalty, and the will to fight on. Amazing film. I saw it last night at the Cinemark, and I'm going to tell you about that. And fourth, if I have time, I'm going to do a short review of a film called The Irishman. Uh, my review is called A Worthless Piece of Garbage. So that's my short film review. Although I have to give it credit, it was a worthless piece of garbage in three and a half hours. Now that takes a lot of skill for Martin Scorsese to say nothing over three and a half hours. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So that's my agenda, if I can get through it all. And that's your agenda. So um, I'd like to go to the phones at the end of the show. We may not have time, but I want to still get a few callers in just because I love to hear your voice. I really do. It's a big part of why I do the show. So even before I forget, because I want to start with it, so I walked in today, and I walk in the door, and there's Mary Reich. It's a pleasure to see her. I walk in, and there's uh, Kevin Fleming, the program director, and there's Anyel Fields, the director. I say hello to him. Then there's Ricky, whose last name I forgot for a minute, but uh, I'll know, and he's the uh, board operator who I see all the time, see his face. He's great. Uh, and then you see all these other great people here, and you remember I listened to the promos, and I listened to Ian Masters, and I realized we're lucky as hell. There's, there's Feminist Magazine. We're lucky as hell to have this station. And we, this isn't fun drive yet, but we really got to get uh, that the fun drive is, is all the time, if you know what I mean. So I'm hoping that you can uh, just appreciate the station as I do, okay? And um, all right, so it's distracting. Okay, so we're going to start with uh, trying to build a community around the show. Some days I get depressed about the show. I'll be honest. Some days I leave the station not feeling good about the show. I thought the show was great. But the response isn't always what I hope. You have to understand that I come out of a call and response tradition where if you hear something, you're obligated to act. That's why sometimes I don't want to know anymore because whatever I hear, I feel an obligation to act. So I want a bunch of listeners who feel obligated to act. So here's the first thing. I need you to write us early and often about feedback for the show Suggestions for future programming, books and films you want reviewed or publicized. I always ask during the show, please email us at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. I want to make a New Year's resolution that I will absolutely respond to every single email and I will acknowledge every single email of the next show. I won't respond to everyone on the air, but I'll also pick one or two or three to respond to on the air. 
So that's the incentive for you. I've been doing a better job last year of responding to you, but I just have to make it a priority. So you send me an email at eric at thevoicesfromthefrontlines.com. You like the show. You didn't. Here's a future show. That's one. Now, many of you do. We're also working on a volunteer to help me make sure I respond to the emails I respond to. I'll try to acknowledge each email on the following show and read from some of them. So that's number one. Number two, please support the causes that we highlight on the show. When I say this group is doing great work in the Amazon, like Amazon Watch, please contact them at their website. If I say the American uh, Indigenous Environmental Network is doing work at Standing Rock, please contact them. It means you're pretty obligated to contact them. You get it? I want people to call back and say, I got 10 contributions, five people volunteered, and 15 signed up for our email list because of your show. Now, I want to tell you some great things about Voices listeners. When we, If you remember during Standing Rock, we had the amazing Candy Mostyn on the show four times, four straight times. She's surrounded by troops in Standing Rock. This isn't somebody sitting around. She's doing she, How she prioritized us every week she was on. One time we raised $7,000 for Standing Rock on this show. Another thing you guys did great is I said, only call in if you're going to do something about Standing Rock or you've already done something. And everybody who called in had done something. Not only one woman said, I already took my class to Standing Rock. Another person said, I'm a GI, and I was radicalized at Standing Rock. Another person said, I raised money in my church. Isn't that a much better radio show? Isn't that the show you want to listen to? Isn't that exciting already to listen to? We're going to do something about every problem on this show We are obligated to do something. You are obligated to go to a demonstration, to call. When I say call Mayor Garcetti, we expect 50, 100 phone calls. You can do this. This is how we're building an organizing community, right? Three, can you get five friends to become Voices listeners? Ricky Herrera, can you get five friends to become Voices listeners? First, by signing up on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. So to get our weekly email letter, then remember, you can listen to our show anytime. Now, we love you from 3 to 4 every Tuesday, but thanks to our website, VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com, and our podcast, Voices On 24-7, so you can listen to us anytime. All right, next, help us build our podcast. I still have ideas about doing a shorter 15 or 20-minute podcast. But the show itself is a podcast. So you can downplay the show anytime on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Okay? So I need you to do that. Then please like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Eric Mann Speaks and help us build our audience on Instagram at Voices from the Frontlines. Help us get the word out. I'll talk about this more today on the show and every show. It'll be an actual part of the programming, how to build the voices from the front lines organizing community. Okay? So that's issue one. How you doing, comrades? Do you remember the five asks? Do you remember the five asks? I don't exactly. One, send me an email. Two, get other people to listen to the show. Three, listen to the show. If you don't get it from three to four on Tuesday, 
go and listen on a podcast for, I'm not looking at my list, help other groups in the movement, and five, do listen to the podcast if you don't listen to the show. Is that a deal? I hear you out there. The way I'll know is send me an email at what? At what? Eric at VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com. Okay, Ricky, each time I want to take a break because I'll get my brain into the next segment. Find some music you like, and we'll be back in two minutes. That was great, Ricky. Ricky Herrera. Hey, Ricky, you should just make a set of songs you like that I don't know what they'll be. And every time we go to a break, you just put something on you like. Up-tempo like this. This is really great. Very inspiring. Thank you. So that's number one, something new on Voices. We're going to have more music from Ricky Herrera. I mean it. Different, different. Uh, I'm really always interested in what, like that song. I knew Stevie Wonder. That's not one of my up songs. That's a great song. So thank you. All right. So now we're going to move to to the second part of the magazine, uh, U.S. Hands Off Iran. I'm heartbroken over uh, what's happening in Iran. In particular, I'm very upset about the murder of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani by President Trump. I'm very shocked that even the peace movement is belittling the assassination and focusing on the danger of war in Iran, but you already had war in Iran. Don't you understand when you say no war in Iran, the United States just murdered one of the top generals in Iran and and the peace movement says no war in Iran. That shows you how used to we are living in U.S. imperialism that even the peace movement accepts assassination. It's a terrible headline in the Nation magazine today saying Trump assassinated General Soleimani to distract from the impeachment. The hell with the impeachment. Enough already with this stupid impeachment. You don't want to impeach him for murdering Soleimani, Soleimani but you want to impeach him for what? It's like, sorry you murdered somebody, but it distracts from our obsession with the impeachment. Well, let me break it to you. Whatever you're doing with the impeachment is not that important compared to a hundred other things going on. But the nerve to say Trump did it to distract from the... No, he murdered a real human being. I want to next week do some biographical work. There's a friend of mine, Joseph Sayadon, who works with the strategy center. He's Iranian. I want to find out more about who is this human being called General Qasem Soleimani. He's a real person like you and me. And it's not simply stop it. So here's a, a short uh, 
commentary I wrote, not with enough preparation, and I'm going to do more work on it next week, and I'm going to write an article about it. I am this week. It says, the murder of Iranian General Qasem Soleimani is the latest of so many murders and assassinations, beginning with the assassination of Native American leaders, is part of the long tradition of the barbarism of U.S. assassinations of its political opponents. This democratic and republic tactic, raised to a horrible crescendo by President Barack Obama through his escalation of the use of drone murders, is rooted in the U.S. imperialist effective ideology that the U.S. is always under attack. The United States has never, it has a Department of Defense. It used to be called a Department of War. At least I was honest, a Department of War. Now it's a Department of Defense. The United States does not need any defense. The United States is attacking every single country. The United States has CIA agents in every country in the world. The world is under attack by our government and our system. This, in turn, is deeply rooted in the mindset of the imperialist white settler state and the white settlers themselves. That is to say, when the United States was built, it was built by white people coming from Europe to invade the Americas, where there were 100 million already indigenous inhabitants. How could people come onto a continent of three continents uh, of 100 million people and murder 90 million of them. The reason is they believed they were being attacked by the indigenous people. How could you believe that? Because the indigenous people represented, rejected Christianity. So we have to murder them because they're attacking our religion. How's that? So the concept, then you ask, you know, when I was a kid, I would go to the RKO Kenmore in Flatbush, at sort of church in Flatbush. I'm so embarrassed by this, and I would see the so-called Cowboy and Indians movies. And the way they were always structured is the movie began, of course, with Native American indigenous people, so-called scalping women and children. That's how the movie would start, right? So once that began, then, of course, the entire rest of the movie was revenge for the outrage. Never asked were they, in fact, retaliating against the U.S. genocide? So the, the concept of always being attacked. You ask a man, why did he beat up his wife within an inch of her life? She attacked me. What did she say? She didn't keep the house clean. That's an attack on me. She criticized me. She attacked me. The aggressor is always the hurt party in the psychopathy Psycho, whatever it is, psychopathology of imperialism. But sadly, this ideology and consciousness is now widespread among people of all races inside the U.S. imperialist white settler state. We can't simply blame white people anymore. There are too many black people, too many Latinos, even too many indigenous people who support the U.S. invasion of third world countries, who go to war who joined the U.S. Army, allegedly volunteer to go over to Iraq, to go over to Iran, to go over to Afghanistan, to go over there, it's always over there, to murder people. Then they come back with post-traumatic stress disorder. Then they come back with horrible guilt sometimes of what they did. But we can't simply say that the white settler state is white people. 
the white settler state is a social formation of imperialism that implicates all of us, every one of us, unless we're active, active every second of the day to resist its ideology, to resist its benefits. It's not just its privileges, but the complicity that we all share. Now, how do we build a real movement against the U.S. imperialist white settler state, its ideology, and its deep roots inside of all of us? Reparations to the people of Iran, reparations to them, no drone attacks, United Nations sanctions against the U.S., no U.S. attacks on Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, and the world. During the 1960s, the fundamental question was that as Eldridge said, you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And that didn't mean simply you're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. It meant every second of your life, you must be part of the solution, or every second you're not fighting, you're part of the problem. I know it's a hard thing to understand. I live my life like that. I dream of this fight. I, you know, this is I'm more than 50 years into this fight, and I was... I'm going to get into the thing about uh, just mercy, but last night I was in the Cinemark Theater and I was sitting in this virtually all-black audience of 300 people as part of an all virtually all-black audience of 1,000 people in the Cinemark watching just mercy on six different screens. And, you know, we had an hour. It was really, really late, and I was talking to this other woman, and she's a turns out she's a public defender in the Inland Empire, of course, a black woman. And, you know, she's trying to figure me out, and she said, I don't know how we got to it. I said, well, you know, I was with the Congress of Racial Equality, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, the Black Panther Party, the Students for Democratic Society. So she said, you've been a soldier for a long time. And I said, yeah, we used to sing the song, We Are Soldiers in the Army. And then after the film that was inspiring and heartbroken, she said, Okay, soldier, I'll see you soon. Let's keep fighting. It was very moving, and that's what I do. You know, I wake up every morning and I go to war, or I try to, with the system, and I think you're obligated to do the same. So that means that we have to, to start with, address the humanity of a human being, an important human being who was murdered by our government, and not say, yes, that happened, but this, but to address the question that the United States will never assassinate another person in the world. And what if someone assassinated a president in this country? What if a third world country assassinated a president of the United States? How many of you would say, well, I don't generally like that, but we have to drop a nuclear bomb on them. We have to attack them because, after all, they provoked us. Ask yourself that. Ask yourself how many times you still believe that China is provoking us that Iraq is provoking us. Ask yourself, are you the imperialist? I'm ready for some more music.
So, Ricky, who was that? Minor Golden Golden Oceans by Minor. Thanks. All right, now I'm uh, uh, going to talk to you about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I, I watched the, uh, I think it was called MSNBC, the stock show. I follow the stock market. I find it fascinating. Uh, I do invest in the stock market. I think everybody should. How's that? I think that you should not give your bank 1% so they can invest it and make 20%. That, I'm sorry, but uh, do something. But we can get into that as another conversation. You could say that's my implication imperialism, perhaps. Not perhaps. But having said that, I was listening to Jen uh, Jennifer Borston, which is a... Uh, a reporter for MSNBC, and Gwyneth Paltrow was on pushing her stock in this company called Goop and doing like an infomercial. So uh, I'm going to do my best version of replicating the interview for you. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Jennifer Borston from MSNBC. I'm so happy to be on with Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, thanks, Judy. It's thank you so much for kissing my butt. No, it's Jennifer. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Jane. But anyway, this is Gwyneth Paltrow, and I'm here talking about my new company called Goop. It's uh, um, it's called Greedy, Ostentatious, Obnoxious People, uh, or Goop for short. And I'm just really happy to be on promoting it because I have an exciting new relationship with Netflix. We're doing a Goop show. And this is going to really advance my brand and expand me and expand my money. And um, it's just an important thing because we're really reaching a takeoff point. And, you know, I want to really build, I'm building a community of greedy, obnoxious, ostentatious people. And um, I just would like you to be part of it. You can, these are all natural products. I mean, it's just amazing. And, oh, oh, I'm so happy to have you on, Gwyneth. And uh, apparently you have uh, cruises for women. uh, it's a thousand dollars to be on the cruise, but you get a free goop bag. Yeah, it, it's really because we're trying to build a community of women that go on these thousand dollar cruises, and it's a lot about me, actually. You know, I mean, I am goop. Goop is me. I am Gwyneth Paltrow. That's why you're really on the cruise to get to know me. I'm trying to go more viral than I am, and um, so Gwyneth, I, I, there's two hundred thousand. Women in prison, are, are they part of the community you're trying to build? Look, nothing wrong with that, but this is not uplifting story. I mean, I, I want to have a more uplifting program right now. I want to talk about the women who can afford $1,000 to go on these cruises with me, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, my, my mom, Blythe Dano, is an actress and apparently a human being, but I got her acting genes, but somehow... I'm not a human being, but I was voted the best actress for pretending to be a human being, which is really important because I'm trying to go viral and expand my brand, and I'm so happy about the relationship with Netflix. And oh, by the way, I have a new relationship with Sephora, so if I can build Sephora into Netflix with me at the center and Goop, and you could all join Goop and be natural people and build a luxury brand for all of us because there must be some point in this because... 
I'm here promoting it, and I hope this makes all of you happy that there's a community that you can buy into. Well, thank you, Gwyneth. I mean, it's just an honor having you on the show, and you continue to make profits for Goop, and again, that's greedy, obnoxious, ostentatious people, and this was Gwyneth Paltrow. Let's hear some music. Kevin Fleming helped me remember to start my New Year's resolution. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. And you're going to give more money to the station at the next fund drive. So every time we do a music break, I also do a station break. Got to remember that, and it's really important because you need to know what show you're listening to. You need to know what station you're on. So this is Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Um, now I want to talk about an amazing film I saw last night, but also the question of context. Um, I'm very lucky. Um, you know, I began my conscious life as, of course, as a Jew, uh, in the 1940s with my parents helping me understand the nature of fascism and Hitler and concentration camps and the pogroms that the Jews faced uh, in Poland in the 1860s and 1870s, 1880s, and 1890s, uh, where there's just a long history of anti-Semitic uh, abuses, murders, uh, the Cossacks, if there would be a bad harvest or just because they were bored, would come in, and since Christianity is so inherently anti-Semitic, they would just come in and beat up the Jews, and as my grandmother told me once, she uh, saw a uh, the Cossacks came in and would grab Jewish children and a Jewish baby, grabbed them by the ankles and smashed her head against a concrete wall. So I was brought up like that. I, I'm very thankful to my grandmother and my parents for talking to me like that about the the cruelty in the world and the need to fight against it at an early age. I don't think it was traumatic at all. It was inspiring in a certain way, especially with my mom and my father talking about, and my, mom, my grandmother, we worked for Norman Thomas, the socialists. So I always go back to those roots because then, of course, I repeat every day that my mother would always tell me, remember, the Negro and the Jew are in the same boat and everybody else hates us. And uh, 
that's also turned out to be true, uh, especially for those Jews who are smart enough to realize they're in the same boats with the Negro. So in this context, I've been in black and Puerto Rican communities since I was 16 and worked in the South Bronx. And now I'm in South LA, where I love to be. And I got this wonderful email from uh, Melina Abdullah, Dr. Melina Abdullah from Black Lives Matter. And she said, hey, friends, uh, Black Lives Matter has some tickets to this film called Just Mercy Monday night at the Cinemark, which is in the uh, uh, Crenshaw Mall. And just make sure you get your name and email right and you'll be on the list. So I sent it in along with Channing Martinez, who was the producer of Voices and a few other people. And we got to the Cinemark last night. I got there around quarter to seven, and oh my God, the line was all over the place. I never saw such a long line for a film. Couldn't get a parking space. Luckily, turned around and just went one block away to the Strategy and Soul Movement Center at King and Crenshaw. 3546 Martin Luther King, where I work and organize. And I was able to park in our own street, walk back over to the Crenshaw Mall, and go on the line. And then I said to people, I just, I'm not trying to cut in. Is, is this line for uh, Just Mercy? And they said, yeah, but what group are you with? And I said, I'm with the Black Lives Matter group. And they said, oh, okay, that's a different line. Go over there. And, and there were Warner Brothers, who were the producer of the film, put on a phenomenal party for this film. They rented the entire Cinemark Theater. So every single, I don't know if it's 14, 15 screens, it was on virtually every screen. And you got there, and imagine you've gone to events where there's a whole reception area, uh, registration area, and there's all these people, and it goes A to C, C to D, D to, you know. So I get on the line, and uh, I get there, you're always nervous, you're not on the list. And she said, yeah, there you are. She gives me this nice little red plastic thing on my wrist, gives me a T-shirt. Dang, go in. And I walk in. They say, you hold up your wristband. Oh, red, you're going to go to Theater 6? So I go to Theater 6. There's popcorn all over the place. There's soda. There's water all for free. So I go in, and there's I'm in Theater 6. And I'm with 300 people, including Akili from... Uh, Black Lives Matter, and Achilles been a friend of mine forever. Greg Achilles is a great organizer for, uh, he worked for Obama, he's worked for everybody. He's just a terrific organizer. So there was a community of people I knew. I even got a couple of Achilles french fries out of his box. And then you're sitting there for an hour, and we're just talking. So as I said, I think to you ahead of time, so I got to know this woman on my right who was a, a public defender in uh, in the Inland Empire, where a lot of black people have moved because they've been driven out of South Central. So finally, the film came up. And yes, Jamie Foxx came out and everything. So I'm going to do the best I can reviewing the film, but it's a must-see, must-see, must-see. Let's get to that. So Just Mercy is about the life of civil rights attorney Brian Stevenson, a wonderful film about courage, the racism of U.S. society, the cruel and unusual punishment of the death penalty, and the will to fight on. A must-see for everyone. So great thanks to Black Lives Matter, the many community groups who sponsored the event, to Warner Brothers, 
at the Cinemark Theater in the Crenshaw Mall. Jamie Foxx was profoundly moving as death row prisoner Walter McMillan. Michael B. Jordan, very impressive in an understated Stevenson, Brian Stevenson. Brie Larson as Eva Ansley, the type of anti-racist white Southerner there used to be more of, and a credit to her race. Credits to Donald Smith for that line. And Tim Blake Nelson as a white prisoner, Ralph Myers, on whose turnaround to hopefully do the right thing, so much of the outcome is based. If The Battle of Algiers is the only hundred I'll ever give a film, and zero is the rating for The Irishman, then Just Mercy is beyond any number, because I don't want to give numbers, but a very fine film that every voice's listener should become a viewer. So let me tell you a little bit more about the film. It's in Alabama. Uh, Brian Stevenson is a black man who goes to Harvard, and he interns in a law firm, and he has his first interaction with death row prisoners, one of whom is the exact same age as he is. So he's 19 years old, and he sees a black man who could have been him on death row. And he gets out of Harvard immediately, somehow gets a federal grant and goes to Alabama. And I, I'm very concerned. Rick, could you get the name of his actual uh, law, uh, civil rights for, uh, group? Uh, he forms a civil rights group. He comes to the South. And he meets Eva Ansley, who's a white woman, a white Southerner, who says right away, this is my boss. It's very important that a white woman works for a black man. You can imagine the presence on both of them. They get kicked out of their office immediately when they find out what's going on. So he has to live at her house for a while as they begin their law firm. There's an understated role of her husband, but her husband is very supportive and welcomes uh, Stevenson into their home, which is their first office. The film describes the death row in ways that I've never seen. It's the most effective and horrible presentation of death row, uh, including a, a character who was came back from Vietnam, who had post-traumatic stress disorder, who did plant a bomb. The bomb went off. It killed a woman. He did not know and had no intention of killing anyone. But as they kept saying in the film, you are not the victim. You were sent to a war. You were sick. You should have been in a hospital. It clearly indicates that these wars that the United States sends young black and Latina and all people into create the very conditions that bring home some of the worst social disorders in the country. In this case, the person does get executed and showing the actual execution in gruesome but critical detail was one of the most moving scenes I've ever seen. There's also a lot of description of showing black people in the South as prisoners and as going right back onto the plantation as basically under chain gang conditions. Uh, Jamie Foxx, again, is magnificent as a death row inmate. I think the film still raises a little bit too much hope about the legal system, but it sure shows the corruption of the legal system. It also shows a phenomenal success rate. What, what's the name of the group, Ricky? Can't find it yet? All right. Uh, listeners, 
you can text me at 323-445-6366 with the name of Brian Stevenson's group that I should have had already on on the show. And I'll look on my phone. It's on mute. So if you can get the name of it, I would really appreciate it. Um, It's a terrific film is the point. It shows the not the tedium, the day-to-day work. It's the work I do every day. It's the work you don't understand what civil rights lawyers and civil rights organizers do. You wake up and you do the job. You go to bed and you do the job. 818-985-5735. It shows so many things being turned down, death row appeals being turned down, equal justice initiative. Thank you. That's what it is. Thanks, Ricky. Uh, The equal justice initiative it shows the complexity of the court system. In this case, a particularly good struggle with a decent white DA, but it shows the transformation of a white DA. I can't fully do justice to this film, interestingly, Just Mercy, but there's a beautiful scene where he goes, uh, Stevenson goes to see uh, Walter McMillan's family, and he goes in these dirt roads, and he goes, and there's this beautiful black community, poor folks, uh, not quite in shacks, but, you know, in very modest, all-black reality. And there's a beautiful scene where he, he comes to talk to the family. There's about 40 people in the living room, and I've been in some of those, some beautiful living rooms where just everybody wants to talk. And he tries to explain that he's going to help the the family, they say, yeah, well, how much do you charge? He says, no, no, you don't understand. There will be no charge for this. So the woman says, well, I supported you the minute you said there'd be no charge because our last lawyer just bled us dry. This is a great film. It's an important film. It stays inside its game in a certain way. You know what I mean? It, it, it gives you more information. It does not directly argue against the death penalty, which I think it could have done easily, but it clearly is against the death. It shows the racism of the criminal justice system, the racism of the entire death penalty system. It shows a black lawyer coming out of Harvard and doing the right thing, and we don't have as many young black people making those life commitments today, and we need more. We need all of us to do more. In my generation, we got out of college, and I remember... uh, Oh, good, I have a call from Bill in Lake Elsinore, 818-985-5735. I remember I I graduated from Cornell, and there was a bunch of us, you know, who had graduated. One guy said, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps, and the next person said, I'm going to work for a civil rights law firm. Another person said, I said, I'm going to go, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a, go work in the black community. And everybody was talking about some kind of socially relevant work in 1964, the understanding was that, okay, we were 21 years old. We had our degree. That was it. The goal was to go do something. We've lost a lot of that. Big props to Black Lives Matter and to the Strategy Center, to COCO and other groups trying to get you. But that's why you got to listen to Voices from the Frontlines. That's why you have to write me at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com. Say, I want to get involved in something. We need your help to build this show if you like the show. 818-985-5735. 
Um, Michael B. Jordan has had a lot of roles. I liked him the best in uh, Fruitvale Station. Uh, and now this one, where he's very understated. I'm not a big fan of his Rocky movies and stuff. And um, he's a very fine actor. Jamie Foxx, again, his Southern, his ability to just be a Southern black man is unbelievable, which is where he comes from. It's a truly, truly beautiful film. I urge you to see it. And again, I want to thank Warner Brothers for making a film like this. You know, I mean, we criticize corporate capital and for good reason. But since we have companies like Warner Brothers, they couldn't have done it better last night. It was a very beautiful experience. And I'm also very proud to be part of the South L.A. black and Latino and multiracial community that's being built there. Very honored that I was even invited to, to see the film as part of the community I've chosen, which is the black community in L.A., and in the country. So that's my review of uh, Just Mercy. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, KPFK. Uh, try to find some Iranian music next. You know, uh, you're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming on the web at kpfk.org. Uh, Qasem Soleimani, who was not an enemy of the United States and certainly not my enemy. Uh, you know, when I'm in Washington, D.C., in particular, I take cabs. Almost all the cabbies are from Iran, Ethiopia, Afghanistan, and they always have their own music on, and then they always think, I want to listen to something else. I said, no, no, play it. I said, you like it? I said, I love it. And then I remember this one Afghani uh, cab driver he said, can I pick you up and take you back to the airport tomorrow? I said, sure. I came back, and he gave me this CD of Afghani music. So uh, I like Iranian music. I like I like everybody's music, and I think we want to do more of that on the show is try to have more breaks with different people. Now, improv is hard, but I'm still going to do, you know, I'm always funnier in my mind than on the show, but it's a process. So I'm going to do my uh, review of... Uh, the Irishman before I get to Bill and Lake Elsinore, okay? And see what you think. So so here's the thing. So Martin Scorsese goes, so look guys, I got a, I got a really good idea for a movie. Uh, so here's the deal. This guy is an Irishman and he, he becomes uh, he becomes a friend of uh, Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci's a gangster and then uh, 
you know, he becomes a friend, and Joe Pesci tells him to become a friend of Jimmy Hoffa. He becomes a friend of Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa has a fight with Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy, you know, the mob helps helps Kennedy get elected, then they double-cross him, so then they kill Kennedy. So then he tells the guy to be, the Irishman, to be friendly with Jimmy Hoffa. They become real good friends. But in the end, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's too independent of the mob. The mob is trying to take over the Teamsters. So the guy who works for the mob, the Irishman, he got to whack him. He whacks him, and then he feels really bad, and he dies. So what do you think, guys? That's a good, what, is it a five-minute movie? No, 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 it's, it's going to be a long movie. Well, it's a short, you just told me the whole movie. Yeah, but no, no, it's going to be uh, three, four hours. Well, how's it going to be three, four hours? Well, just, just, look, you know what to do, right? Come on, come on, you guys know what to do, okay. So, hey, so uh, you need a house painted? What's a house painted? I'm Bobby De Niro, I'm playing an Irishman, and, and I got a, you want a house painted? Why do I want a house painter? Because I want to, you need a house painter? Well, what's a house painter? I, I'm trying to paint your house. What are you talking about? Well, okay, okay. It means whacking the guy. You understand I'm a hit man, but I'm not saying that because I'm on the, the radio. I'm on the phone. I don't want Jay to go over here. So when I say you need a house painter, it means I'm going to whack a guy. You understand? No, what do you mean by a house painter? I just told you what I mean by a house painter. Are you saying, hey, are you talking to me? That's the wrong movie. Hey, what's the point? Here's Joe Pesci. So listen, I'm speaking low in this movie because I'm supposed to show a range. See, in the other movies, I would say the same exact thing loud, but now I'm saying it's soft. This is showing what a complex actor I am. See what I'm saying? So when you paint the house, you know what I'm saying? Wink, wink. Go see Hoffa and be friends with Hoffa. Hey, this is Al Pacino. I'm talking loud. Because I'm loud. I'm very loud. I'm playing Al Pacino. I play Al Pacino all the time. This is my new part. I'm Jimmy Hoffa. But Al, that's the same part. You. No, no, this is different. I'm louder. And this is Joe Pesci. I'm softer. This is Bobby De Niro. Hey, are you looking at me? Bobby, that's the wrong movie. No, no, this is my best line. Hey, hey, are you saying, is this a joke? You trying to say his joke? Ha ha, funny about me? Are you saying, Joe, that's from the other movie. Isn't it just one movie, Marty? I mean, they're all the same movie. You know what I mean? We just do the same thing. We say the same thing. What do you mean you say the same thing? Are you saying the same thing? I'm saying the same thing. What are you talking about? What do you mean I'm talking about? What are you talking about? Hey, how long is this supposed to go on? I don't know. We got three hours. We can just keep it going. You know, we got nothing to say. It's the same part. You just keep repeating it, repeating it. It's repetition art. What's repetition art? Well, I don't know what repetition is. What, did you say repetition art? I said repetition art. Well, what do you mean by repetition? Will you stop repeating the same thing? Apparently, if you say the same thing over and over and over, it becomes art. Okay? So that was The Irishman. You, you didn't have to go see it now. I just gave you the whole plot, and if you just take that plot, you repeat it. Take five-minute plot, and you repeat it eight times, that's 40 minutes. If you divide five into three hours... That's how many movies it is. It's the same Ooh, uh, story. Over. You gonna put something on? You got something to say? Put something on. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got? Uh, hoo -ah. I know what it is. Go ahead. Hoo -ah. Make it louder. Pussy. Hoo -ah.
All right. That, see, that was another part I did. Who are I? I got to put that in the movie. All right. All right. Lake Elsinore. Let's take a phone call from Bill from Lake Elsinore. What do you got, Bill? Hey, hello, Eric. Thank you for your tireless and sometimes seemingly thankless crusade to struggle. <laughs> the trenches every darn day. Yeah. I was your show. I wish I could do more, but five years ago I lost my vision, but I'm still trying. Um, and hang in there. You're doing a great job, and we're all out here listening to you. Well, that means a lot. That means a lot. Um, very sorry about losing your vision, and um, you still have your vision, you know what I mean, which is great, and, and that means that the show probably means maybe more. Uh, you're yes, absolutely indeed. right. It's not thankless, by the way. It's uh, See, the good thing about— I didn't mean it. No, 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 no. I didn't mean it. I, I didn't take it in any way defenseless, uh, defensive. It is at times—it's at times frustrating, Bell, because— I was there when the same amount of energy could generate a thousand times outcome. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Now wow. I'm in a machine where a thousand level of energy generates five outcomes. So you have to work even harder. It's like an inefficient machine because we're in a counter-revolution. In a revolution, you go out and do something and if it's good, it sparks and it has a multiplier effect. In a counter-revolution, you kill yourself for very small results, but you have to remember you're getting results. And that's what yeah, I have to remember. So talk to me more. What's it like since you lost your vision? It's very much the same way. Uh, you rely on your memory a lot more. <laughs> um, people are, are helpful to a point, and um, it's a lot of struggle groping around for everything. But I'm not complaining about it. I'm just letting you know. And um, the, the victories are huge when the one you get once in a while. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I mean, this morning, uh, and I hear what you're saying about, you know, seriously about groping around. Sometimes when I'm just in the complete dark, <laughs> you know, in complete dark, and I realize I have to move so slow, and I don't want to knock over something on my desk. You know what I mean? I just have to realize how slow I want to move because I don't want to fall or trip on something. I can't even imagine what it's like. Or but break your bones. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Or break your bones. Yeah. Uh, let me say this. Just this morning, and we're going to talk about it tomorrow. I mean, we're talking about next Tuesday. Uh, I was on a call with a coalition called Push LA. There's just been a breakthrough. Guess what? That the uh, LAPD was caught having 12 or 13 undercover police who were falsely putting people on a gang database and then accusing them this thing called gang enhancement where oh, no. uh, if you like if you shoplift it's three I months but if you can be proven you're in a gang it could be three yeah, years so uh, we're make, making progress that's the point we're going to be demanding an end to the gang database altogether and I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm lucky to be alive I'm lucky to do the work I do. I love the work I do. And I love the listeners on KPFK. So, Bill, thank you so much for calling. And everybody else, what you're going to do, here are your five assignments, should you choose to accept them. Number one, email me at ericman at Voices from the Frontlines with any responses and any suggestions to let me know you're out there. As Bill did, which is very generous, 
uh, support the causes that we highlight on the show. There weren't one today, but next week there will be. Can you get five friends to become Voices listeners? Sign up on our website, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And then listen every Tuesday from 3 to 4, or if not, go on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. And five, like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Eric Man Speaks, and on Instagram at Voices from the Frontlines. So with that... This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. You're on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming live on the web at kpfk.org. Also on voicesfromthefrontlines.org. And now let's let Lena Simone take us out with I Did It My Way. And thank you, Ricky Herrera. Thank you, Kevin. Fleming for I Will Be On The Case. Bye, everybody. Next Tuesday, we're going to talk about Push LA and how to put some restrictions on the OAPD. Yes, regrets. I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. Did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. <laughs>